on today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. We'll be talking plenty about the Patriots and their upcoming game on Sunday against the Saints. We'll give you some thoughts about Mac Jones and kind of his early development, what I've noticed in the first couple games. Uh, We've also take a look at the rest of week three around the NFL, take a look at some of the key matchups this weekend. We'll also take a quick look at a recap from last night's game between the Panthers and the Texans. So give you some thoughts from that. Also give you some news and notes from around the NFL as week three is underway. We will then get to talking about the Red Sox as they seem to be playing well at the perfect time. So we'll get into uh, momentum and how important that is for the Red Sox as they go into their final series of the season at Fenway against the Yankees tonight. So we'll give you a preview of that series uh, that starts tonight at 7. We will also take a look at uh, the Red Sox bullpen and how that is going to be an important factor in whether the team goes deep in the playoffs or not. We will also take a look at the rest of the Red Sox schedule as their season has just about a week left. We will also get to some news and notes from around Major League Baseball. We will then get to the NHL and talk a bit of Bruins as training camp has opened. So we'll give you guys some early thoughts from the first couple days of training camp. There is, I believe that there are sessions going on today as we record. So we'll give you some uh, potential live updates from camp. And then we will talk about the Bruins preseason slate that begins on Sunday. So we'll talk about that as well. We will also get to some news and notes from around the NHL as training camp has begun around the league. We will then get to the NBA, talk a little bit of Celtics as their training camp roster is just about finalized. So we'll take a look at uh, some of the uh, training camp spots that have been filled up by a couple of players in the last in the last couple of days. I'll also give you guys kind of an early look at uh, some potential starting lineups um, and what that might look like as the Celtics season gets closer. We'll also give you an update on the Ben Simmons situation. There really doesn't seem to be... Uh, a trade happening anytime soon, but we'll keep you guys updated on that. We will also get to some news and notes from around the NBA. And then to finish, we'll talk about the revolution as they continue their winning ways, clinched a playoff spot the other night. So we'll talk about them as they close out the rest of their regular season and what uh, there still needs to, what they still are going to play for. We will also get to talking about the WNBA as the playoffs got underway last night, so we'll update you guys on a couple of those games, and then we will talk about college football week four. So let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden, and today we got plenty of stuff for you um, on this Friday. 
uh, NFL Week 3. A lot of important games this weekend. Uh, plenty to get into for the Patriots as well. Um, and also, you know, plenty of stuff for the Red Sox and Bruins, believe, or the Celtics and Bruins, believe it or not, as uh, their seasons are getting very close. The uh, Bruins have their first preseason game on Sunday, um, and the Celtics have their first preseason game in a couple weeks. So it's, uh, you know, starting to get about that time where both of those teams are starting. You know, honestly, it's... Uh, it's honestly one of the best times of the year on the sports calendar with, you know, the NFL in full swing. You got baseball going down to the wire, you know, the, about a week left in the regular season. You got NHL and NBA kicking up. You know, it's a pretty exciting time. You know, I would put it up there with, you know, kind of the, the early spring with, you know, the Masters, NCAA tournament, you know, baseball starting and things like that and playoffs for NBA and NHL. You know, I think both of those times a year really the best times of the year to be a sports fan. Um, and even if you're a fan of golf, too, you know, you got the Ryder Cup uh, going on this weekend if you're into that. So I think before we get into everything, you know, as always, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and on Facebook, and you can listen on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. So that's before... We get into um, everything. Um, I do have uh, a Celtics article in the works right now at Garrett Hayden Sports Media. You can go read last week's article if you haven't. I did an article about Charlie Coyle, so we'll actually talk about Charlie Coyle uh, later in today's podcast when we get into the Bruins. Um, But yeah, Celtics article in the works hopefully can be out to you guys at some point early next week. So let's get into it. Let's get into the Patriots. I know that... uh, it's been a week of a lot of stuff flying around um, in terms of comments about Brady and Belichick and all that stuff. So I'm not going to say that I'm going to totally avoid it because I think that it's pretty obvious that there's a lot of stuff flying around and it would be irresponsible to not talk about it a little bit. But I'll just be honest, I'm not going to be getting full on into talking about Brady because there's no reason to if Patriots don't play the Bucks this week. Um, And it really doesn't make sense to talk about, you know, what did or didn't happen when, you know, Brady left. Because I think, like, we kind of, I think we should all know what the story is at this point, you know. And if you're choosing to believe certain things, I think that you're not totally paying attention. Um, it, It is very obvious that, you know, Alex Guerrero and Tom Brady Sr. have made some comments, you know, essentially bad-mouthing Bill Belichick as to, oh, you know, Tom left because he couldn't stand him, you know, and that sort of thing. And I just feel like there's really not a whole lot to break down with those comments. I know other people in the media might want to break it down a lot more, but, you know, that's not what I'm going to do because I think that it's completely unnecessary and it really doesn't matter. So that's really all I'm going to say about those comments. I'm not going to do a whole thing talking about why he left because I think it's pretty fairly obvious why Tom left because he wanted to. And I think that that really kind of says it all. I know that that's not interesting to some people, that some people want to make it into more of a a bad breakup because they, you know, need, need that they need a reason for why Tom Brady left other than maybe he just wanted to, and maybe he just felt like he needed to move on. And I think that that hurts some people's pride. So 
you know, that's really all I'm going to say. And I think, you know, that's one of two things that's been floating around in kind of the Patriots uh, media, if, if you will, in the last week or so. The other thing that's been flying around, you know, which is, I think, way more important and way more pertinent to, you know, what's going on within the team is Mac Jones. Um, and I think that it makes sense for us to start talking about Mac Jones. Or it makes sense for us to start today's podcast talking about Mac Jones and some of the things that I've heard from um, a lot of different people. And I will just say that in his first two starts, he's looked very solid. And um, obviously, it's not perfect. You know, I think that there still are things that we want to see him work on. But I think just kind of the basic feel of him as a quarterback, I think that the early returns are really good. You know, I think that the two games that he has played, you know, he's been very accurate, you know, completing over 70% of his passes in both games, you know, at the, at, at the current moment, 73.9% in the first two games, 467 yards, 6.8 yards per attempt, um, and really kind of doing a lot of the things that the Patriots want a quarterback to do. You know, the rating is pretty good. You know, I don't think that he was perfect in the Jets game. You know, I think that there were a lot of things that um, just were not as efficient. The Patriots were not as efficient offensively in this in the Jets game last week. And I think that, you know, part of it is maybe the Patriots are being very conservative with Mac Jones. And I'll just be honest, like, that doesn't bother me. I know that that's kind of been a theme this whole week that people are getting upset that the Patriots are not, or, or people be, are believing that the Patriots are not allowing Mac Jones to throw the football down the field. And I just, I can't believe that there are some people that actually think that, you know, I don't think that it's a concerted effort by Josh McDaniels to be like, oh, we're not going to let him throw the football 20 yards down the field. You know, it's just, football doesn't work like that. And I, think people should should know a little bit better than to think that that's what's happening. You know, I think that the Patriots are taking a conservative approach with a young quarterback. I don't see the problem with that. You know, I think that that's really what it boils down to is you want to be conservative with a young quarterback because you don't want to give him the full reins right away and, you know, force him to do too much, kind of like the Jets are, the Jets did with... <laughs> With Zach Wilson, I mean, you saw the way he was playing quarterback on Sunday. Four interceptions, a couple of them that were very bad. You know, specifically that one to McCourty where he's trying to make a Patrick Mahomes type play and overthrows the receiver by 15 yards. And it's just like you don't want Mac Jones to be doing stuff like that. And I understand that the way that Wilson and Jones play the quarterback position, you know, is very different. Um, you know, that Wilson is a lot more athletic and is looking to make plays on the run and things like that. And Mac Jones is your, you know, typical pocket passer where he's not really going to move outside the pocket very often. So, you know, I think that it's fair that they play the position differently, but I also think that, you know, you're seeing a difference in taking your time and being conservative with a rookie quarterback versus just giving him the reins and letting him do whatever right away. You know, and the Jets have had a problem with this, you know, for the for the last for their last couple like young quarterbacks. You look at Wilson, 
you look at Darnold, who, you know, ironically is playing very well in Carolina, you know, so I just think that it's it's a lot of people getting needlessly upset for no reason. Mac Jones is playing well. The Patriots won the game fairly easily on Sunday. They probably should be 2-0, and you know, and it's just like the fact that they're 1-1 is not, is not a debt, is not, you know, a, a fault on Mac Jones, you know, they could easily be 2-0 and right now, and I just think that the Patriots are in a good spot offensively with what Jones is doing. And sure, are the Patriots struggling in the red zone? Absolutely. You know, are they having some issues with the continuity of the offensive line due to some injuries? Yes, absolutely. But I think that you're seeing good early returns on your young quarterback who's making all the right decisions, you know, is not trying to force anything. And I know that that maybe makes some people upset because they want to see big 30-yard chunk plays down the field. But it's like you got to take your time. You know, you can't expect Mac Jones to be throwing for 300 yards every week. You know, it's just sometimes the game plan calls for the Patriots to be more be more conservative. You know, I'm not sure what it's going to call for against the Saints. I happen to think that it's probably going to be more of the same because you have a defensive line led by Cam Jordan that is going to create big problems for your offensive line. I think especially if... Trent Brown can't go. You know, I think that you're going to be playing a very aggressive defense that's going to look to get in the face of Mac Jones and being conservative with the ball is going to be is going to be the smarter thing to do even if it's not the sexiest way to play off to play the quarterback position. It's going to work. I just feel like you know, we're seeing we're seeing an offense that 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 works. So far it has worked. Is it perfect? No. But it works. And it's just like, I don't understand why it needs to be, you know, Mac Jones throwing the football all over the yard, that that's the only way to win a football game. You know, it's just just frustrating. And maybe people just want him to develop a lot quicker because they need to, people feel the need that they need the Patriots to be Super Bowl contenders. They're not going to be Super Bowl contenders this year. They might not even be Super Bowl contenders next year. And I just think, like, we have to reset our expectations to be like, we have a rookie quarterback leading this football team. There are going to be bumps and bruises along the way. There's going to be, you know, growing pains, so to speak. But it's just like, Mac Jones has not shown you anything in the first two weeks that leads you to believe that he might not be the guy or he might not be ready to compete at the NFL level. Everything he's shown you in my opinion, I think leads you to believe that he is a quality NFL quarterback and can be a guy that can be successful for years to come. You know, I'm not saying that he's going to, you know, win offensive rookie of the year and put together all these accolades in his first couple of years, but you just need solid quarterback play. That's really all you need. And I really don't want to remind people, but this is how the Patriots played when Tom Brady, you know, was winning Super Bowls in his first couple of years. The Patriots played ultra-conservatively, and they won three Super Bowls. So, I don't know. There's something to be said for the fact that maybe playing conservative with a quarter with a young quarterback actually works. So, um, that's really kind of just the thoughts I have with, with Mac Jones. Um, there was a football game last night, so we'll kind of break down some of that game last night. We'll get back to the Patriots um, in a moment when we preview the week three games. 
So uh, Thursday Night Football last night in Houston, uh, Texans and Panthers. Panthers really have no problems in this game. You know, really were very strong defensively. Um, Darnold had a very good game. DJ Moore was really good. Um, But really, the thing that overshadowed this game is Christian McCaffrey's hamstring injury. Um, Left in the second quarter, did not return, was... I think ruled out, you know, almost immediately after he came out. So um, that is definitely not a good sign for the Carolina Panthers, um, who have really been, who have really been one of the feel-good stories of the NFL season. You know, they've started three and zero. They've had a really, really solid defense, and Sam Darnold is, you know playing the quarterback position like we all expected him to play the position when he was with the Jets, you know, with the high-drafted rookie that he was and, you know, high-drafted player that he was. Um, But the Panthers are playing great football. It's really good to see. But, you know, losing McCaffrey is going to be a huge problem, Um, I think especially if he's going to be down for an extended period of time. You know, not to say that, you know, missing him is going to have them go into a nosedive, but it kind of happened last year. You know, he missed 12 or 13 games, and the Panthers really had a tough time. But um, Darnold really has come into his own in the early part of this season. Um, Had 300 yards passing, had two rushing touchdowns. Um, In this game, DJ Moore obviously had a big game, eight receptions for 126 yards. Um, Panthers really were able to kind of just do most of what they wanted on offense. They kind of controlled the game. Um, Obviously, the story with the Texans, Tyrod Taylor, uh, was unavailable in this game. So Davis Mills, the rookie third rounder, I think out of Stanford, played for the Texans and honestly did not look bad. Um, I was kind of pleasantly surprised with how well he played. Um, And it kind, kind of made me realize that, okay, you know, maybe there's something here. You know, maybe he's a young quarterback that they can try to develop and kind of try to be that next person, you know, kind of is a pretty prototypical, you know, pocket passer can, you know, move and throw on the run a little bit. You saw that a little last night, Um, but it's very curious, you know, how well he played and, you know, what does that mean for Houston's plans? You know, I think obviously there needs to be I don't want to say it like this, but like there needs to be once once they can get kind of a resolution on the Deshaun Watson thing, you know, if they can trade him or whatever, it'd be very interesting to see what their plan is for Davis Mills, um, who was one of the quarterbacks that I think was going to be like one of the mid round quarterbacks that you know might end up having a solid NFL career. So I'm very curious to see you know what the future holds for him. You know, Brandon Cooks had a really nice game nine receptions in last night's game, but the Texans were unable to score, um, or actually were able to score a touchdown. I thought that they weren't. No, Davis Mills had a touchdown pass to Anthony Miller um, in the second quarter, so that was the Texans' only offensive touchdown in the game. Panthers win 24-9. to So Panthers obviously 3-0. Texans drop to 1-2. and So uh, taking a look at the rest of Week 3, There are some pretty intriguing games. You have an AFC South game that is uh, very important for the Indianapolis Colts. They really cannot afford 
to drop to 0-3. They take on the Titans on Sunday. Uh, the Titans coming off an overtime win in Seattle. Uh, Derrick Henry was uh, Derrick Henry and just was unbelievable. Had 47 fantasy points. Uh, helped de- helped uh, helped deal me two losses in fantasy football last week. Uh, my three teams and I lost two games. Thanks to thanks to Mr. Henry, but uh, the Titans get a much needed win on the road in Seattle uh, in overtime, and I think this really this game is a lot more about the Colts. I think that you know falling to zero and three is a recipe for a disaster for a team that I think had some expectations coming into the season, um, but they've had a lot of trouble. Carson Wentz has kind of been all right, you know, he's not been fully a hundred percent himself, so. I'm very curious to see how the Colts play in this one. Um, but I think the Titans keep the the momentum going from the overtime win. I think that they win and the Colts drop to 0-3. Uh, battle between two 0-2 teams in New York. Uh, Sunday at 1, the Falcons and the Giants. So it's kind of been an interesting first two weeks for the Giants. You know, I think that uh, losing that opening game to the Broncos in a very poor offensive game, you know, obviously was not great, but I also thought that they played a lot better um, offensively against Washington in the Thursday night game last week. Um, and obviously you have Atlanta, a team that can score, but a team that uh, has really struggled uh, defensively. They got lit up by the Eagles and the Buccaneers in their in their first two games. So I do like the Giants to get their first win. I think that uh, Saquon Barkley has a big, uh, re- big bounce back game, um, and reminds people of the player that he is. So I think the Giants win, um, and I honestly think that they win big in this one. One of the most important early games, uh, the Chargers and the Chiefs. This game in Kansas City at one o'clock. Uh, really important game for both of these teams, the Chiefs and the Chargers, uh, both coming off losses and both coming off close losses. Um, in their last games, Kansas City obviously had a very tough time defending Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. So um, I would not, ex- or I would be surprised if this game was like a defensive battle. I think there's going to be a lot of points scored in this one. Um, you know, the Chargers I thought actually played a fairly decent defensive game against the Cowboys last week, um, but I think that you're going to see a lot of points. And I think anytime there's a lot of points scored. You kind of lean towards Kansas City that they're going to make enough plays offensively to win the game, but I do expect that Herbert's going to have a good game after kind of struggling against Dallas last week. Uh, Cincinnati and Pittsburgh will play in Pittsburgh at 1 o'clock. This is a very interesting game for both teams because I think you know Pittsburgh, you saw them being very impressive in their first week win against the Bills, but then were kind of... Um, not really able to defend against Vegas as well as you would think. And so Vegas beats them. Um, and Cincinnati kind of came in after a, a, a good win in week one, kind of came back with a poor offensive performance the next game. Um, but I do like Pittsburgh. I think that they bounce back at home in this one. Uh, Chicago and Cleveland, the Justin Fields era is officially underway. He will start this weekend against Cleveland. It would be a very interesting game. Baker Mayfield, obviously the former number one pick against Fields, uh, one of the most exciting rookie quarterbacks from this year's class. Uh, so be very curious to see what Fields can do 
in this game against the Browns, who have a very good defense. They came back from a uh, tough loss against Kansas City uh, to win last week against Houston. So I'd be very curious to see how Cleveland can build off of that game. Uh, Baltimore and Detroit. Detroit uh, really hoping not to fall to 0-3, but um, I think Baltimore really kind of caught their stride offensively in the last game. So I expect Baltimore to win by a pretty wide margin um, in this game. I think Lamar Jackson has another impressive game. Uh, he was unbelievable in that Sunday night game against the Chiefs, uh, really putting on a display that made you think, yeah, there's the guy that won uh, MVP two years ago. Um, the guy that just is electrifying, you know, so is just him and Patrick Mahomes just are so electrifying to watch and uh, really had a great battle in Sunday night's game. But I think Baltimore builds off of it and wins again. Um, in Detroit on Sunday. Then you got the Patriots and Saints. Um, I think that this is going to be another game where I think the Patriots are going to be forced to play a little bit more conservative or a little bit conservative on offense. Um, I know that that's not exciting for many people, but I think that you have a Saints defense that is very aggressive. You have a, a, a secondary that's pretty experienced. Um, and so I think the Patriots want to try to make the game as easy as possible uh, for Mac Jones, I think you want to try to stay with the running game, try to establish it and keep with it. Um, and the Saints, you know, I really don't know what to expect from this team offensively. You know, they looked like a juggernaut in week one against Green Bay and then came back last week and only had only scored seven points against Carolina. So it really don't know what kind of Jameis Winston you're going to expect. You know, he had a good game against the Patriots a couple years ago, I think in his first game against them. Um, so I think if the game really goes how he does, if he has a bad game and the Patriots get to him, force a couple interceptions, I don't see a way the Patriots lose this game. But if Winston has a good offensive game and the Patriots have to, you know, perform offensively, you know, at a high clip, I think I'm just a little concerned with specifically the red zone offense and scoring touchdowns in the red zone. So I think that the Patriots are going to be able to get to Jameis Winston. I think that they force a couple turnovers. I think it's going to be close, uh, but I think the Patriots are going to get the job done with this one being at home. Um, and I think Nick Folk makes a kick late in the game, and the Patriots win like 20-17, to 23-20, something like that. Um, so I do expect the Patriots to win, but I don't expect that this is going to be um, an easy game like last Sunday against the Jets. So... Uh, I, I bet that people will be biting their fingernails uh, late in this game. Um, Arizona and Jacksonville, another game that I think I'm pretty sure is going to go one way. But, you know, Arizona is a team that sometimes they overlook their opponents. So I wouldn't be surprised if Jacksonville pulls off an upset in this game. Uh, I think Trevor Lawrence is due for a much better game. Arizona's defense, obviously, has been a big problem for some offenses. Um, in the first couple weeks, I think specifically against Tennessee, when Chandler Jones had five sacks. So um, I expect Arizona to win, but don't be surprised if Jacksonville uh, pulls off an upset for their first win of the season. Uh, Washington and Buffalo, this is kind of an interesting game. I think this is going to be an old-fashioned defensive slugfest. I don't think you're going to see a lot of points in this game, but I do expect Buffalo uh, to win on the road, build off of their win in Miami last weekend. Um 
The Jets and the Broncos will play at 4.05. Uh, Denver's been a surprising story so far this season uh, as they've taken advantage of a couple of bad opponents. Um, so I think Denver improves to 3-0 and um, with this win. And, you know, I think Zach Wilson has a better game, a slightly better game, but I think you're looking at a Broncos defense that is a very good unit and I think could force him to make a couple of mistakes, but I think he'll be slightly better in this game than he would be than he was against the Patriots. Um, but I still expect Denver to win. Miami and Vegas. Vegas is off to a good start. They've been a great story so far during the season as their 2-0 wins against Baltimore and Pittsburgh. I think they keep the trend going. I think that they beat Miami. Miami's in a little bit of dire straits right now as Tua Tagovailoa will miss the game with a rib injury. So I think that Vegas will take advantage and have a good game offensively. Uh, Seattle and Minnesota will go at it later in the afternoon. Minnesota coming off a couple of close losses to Cincinnati and Arizona. And then Seattle, obviously, with the uh, overtime loss last week. I think Seattle bounces back and I think drops Minnesota to 0-3. And then here we get into kind of the, the bigger games of the day. Um, Sunday afternoon, Tampa Bay Buccaneers will travel to Los Angeles to take on the Rams. Both teams 2-0, and both teams have looked pretty good in their first two weeks. You know, I think Tampa Bay has looked a little bit suspect defensively, um, so I think Stafford's going to have a big game in this one, but it's very hard to count out Tom Brady in uh, kind of a nationally televised game. So I do like the Buccaneers, but I do think L.A. makes it a game and uh, shows everyone that, okay, the NFC is not quite over with yet. Um, and then the Sunday night game, the 49ers and the Packers, I think the Packers had a great bounce back win on Monday night football. Um, so I think that they, on a short week, uh, get the win, come into San Francisco and play very well. Not that I think San Francisco is a bad team, but I think that uh, Green Bay is going to catch them at a good time as they are very depleted um, in terms of the running back situation. So I think Green Bay gets the win, but I think it could be a very good game. Uh, Trey Lance, I think you probably will see him get in the game at some point. Um, and then the Monday night game, Philadelphia-Dallas, very looking forward to seeing how Dallas's offense matches up against Philly's offense. Uh, Philly had a tough time in Week 2 against the 49ers, but I think that they'll bounce back, have a good offensive game, and I think that Dallas is going to score a good amount of points. So I think you're going to see a lot of points in this game, but I think the Cowboys will come away with a win. So that takes care of all the all the weeks. I think we'll take a look at some news and notes uh, from around the league, obviously. Um, McCaffrey, the severity of his hamstring is not known yet. Um, you have news earlier today that the uh, wild card weekend will have a Monday game or a Monday night game uh, this week or this year, excuse me, when the playoffs start. Um, so obviously the new rules are that only the number one seed in each conference gets a bye, and so then that means there are two extra games. So it's actually being called Super Wild Card Weekend because there'll be two extra games, so it sounds like they'll be adding a Monday night game for that. So that will be kind of interesting. Um, a couple players, I think Lamar Jackson had missed practice the other day for 
the Ravens, but I think it was a stomach bug not related to his uh, backflip into the end zone on Sunday, but it sounds like he will probably be able to play on Sunday in Detroit. Um, so I think that that probably does it for um, the the NFL this week. Uh, Patriots, the pretty important game against the Saints, you know, kind of a quick uh, appetizer before the uh, the, before they welcome the Bucks to Foxborough next Sunday. Um, it is worth noting the Patriots will be honoring Julian Edelman at halftime of the game on Sunday, which is uh, which will be fantastic. I'm not sure that you know you'll be able to watch it on TV, but I'm sure that you'll you know catch some clips from it on social media. So fantastic! The Patriots are are honoring Julian, who had uh, announced his retirement a number of months ago. Um, but I think nice that they are celebrating him and not celebrating him the same week that Tom Brady is going back. I just think that it wouldn't be, it wouldn't necessarily be the best, you know, idea. And I know that the two of them are close, but I think that you want to celebrate Julian's retirement and have that be a separate thing. Um, because I think he deserves all the, all the, all, he deserves all the attention for, you know, everything he did with the Patriots. So that will be fun. That will be interesting to see, um, or that will be fun to see. Uh, Julian get get honored at halftime. So that will probably do it for the NFL. We'll move on. We'll talk about the uh, red hot Boston Red Sox, or should I say the uh, yellow hot Boston? That doesn't make sense. That doesn't really fit very well. But the Red Sox, with their uh, marathon with their marathon yellow jerseys, uh, have won five straight games in in the jerseys. Um, they have won seven straight overall. As they, you know, get into the last, as they get into the their last home series at Fenway Park this season, um, welcoming in the Yankees. So I think that it's just great. The Red Sox are playing at such a high clip right now. You know, I think that it was a big concern when the Red Sox, you know, had all these you know COVID issues with. important players, you know, missing games and, you know, minor league guys who in most situations would not see the big leagues this season, you know, had to get thrown in there. Um, And the Red Sox kind of treaded water, but I think that they've gotten most everyone back. And, you know, now they're playing at the clip that we kind of saw from them pre-All-Star break. So it's, you know, excellent to see the Red Sox finally kind of figuring things out, getting everyone back healthy. They're finally getting some good starting pitching. Um, you know, the offense has returned. A lot of guys are having good stretches. You know, Dahlbeck continues to hit well. Hunter Renfro continues to hit well. You know, Devers, Bogarts, Martinez, you know, kind of go up and down the lineup. And I think, you know, going into the playoffs, that's one of the most dangerous things you can have is a lineup that you know you're never out of the game. So, it's it's just been good to see them playing so well at you know a time that is really opportune you know a time that uh, the Red Sox have about ten days left in the regular season and you know are playing at a clip that makes them a very dangerous team I think come playoff time and I think specifically in that wild card game that whoever they play 
you know, assuming that they make it there, whoever they play, you know, it's not going to be an easy matchup for, you know, whether it's Tampa Bay, Toronto, Seattle, or excuse me, Yankees, Toronto, or Seattle, um, or Oakland, or whoever it is, you know, that they know that the, you know, it's a Red Sox offense that, you know, is really dangerous. So I think that it's very important for the Red Sox to keep the momentum going um, this weekend against the Yankees. Red Sox are 10 and 6 this season against the Yankees, so this will bring it to 19 with the three games this weekend. Nathan Navaldi will pitch against Garrett Cole this weekend, or he'll pitch against Garrett Cole tonight. Um, and then the Red Sox have Nick Pavetta going tomorrow night, and then Eduardo Rodriguez going on Sunday night, or actually, I believe, I believe Saturday's game might be an afternoon game, but I think that, yes night game tonight, and then the Sunday night baseball on Sunday on ESPN. So, you know, I think getting back to, you know, the momentum, I think that it's always important to, you know, try to be playing your best close to the postseason, you know, as you can. You know, it's not necessarily an indicator that, oh, okay, if you get hot before the end of the regular season, that that's going to continue in the playoffs, because I think as we've seen for many baseball seasons is, you know, there, there ebbs and flows, you know, there are times where things can be working very well to your advantage that you're getting good starting pitching, you're getting solid bullpen help, and you're getting, you know, a a lineup that can score five, six runs really at, 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 at any point. So, you know, that's, that's when it's going well, you know, and it's not going well. You're having pitchers that are struggling to get into the fifth or sixth inning. You know, you have to go to the bullpen early. The offense isn't producing, and, you know, you're making mistakes. And the Red Sox have had their fair share of, you know, tough stretches. I think especially defensively when you have guys that just are um, not paying attention and just not, you know, being smart with the baseball and, you know, being a team that, you know, shoots themselves in the foot. And the Red Sox have done plenty of that. I think over the last couple months or so that they've gone through stretches where, you know, that's become a problem. So I think that it's kind of just like, as we said a few weeks ago, I think when the Red Sox were, were struggling that it's, you know, hard to expect this team to go super far. But I think at the same time, maybe it's not fair to be like, oh, they're, you know, a flash in the pan, that sort of thing. You know, getting at that they're kind of, unpredictable, if you will, that I think most of what this team can do in the postseason is going to be predicated on what their bullpen can do. You know, I know that this is a team that is built around offense. You know, you look at how strong they've been offensively this season and a couple guys that I think have been a lot better than people or fans have expected or the organization has expected. You know, I don't think that a lot of people thought Hunter Renfro would be approaching 30 home runs and 100 RBIs this season. Um, I don't think people expected Kike Hernandez to be as much of a good leadoff hitter as he's been. Um, And so I think, you know, it's... I lost my train of thought. Um, But I think that's what I was saying. So I think it... You know, the Red Sox will, will be a team that are going to be a threat offensively every single game. You know, they're going to be a threat 
with the pitching, you know, with Sale and Evaldi, you know, two guys that have been very solid from, you know, Sale's, Sale's been solid since he's come back. Evaldi's been pretty solid start to finish this whole season. Um, and then you have Rodriguez, who's had some experience in the postseason. But, you know, I think that it's really kind of those two guys that have been pretty strong. But at the end of the day, it comes down to your bullpen. And, you know, very few teams have done very well in the playoffs without a bullpen that's not reliable. And I think the Red Sox need to have that reliable bullpen if they're going to go anywhere in the playoffs. You know, the offense and the pitching can only get you so far. But if you can't hold leads, you know, you're going to be out very quickly. So I think that it's, you know, Matt Barnes hoping that he can come back and kind of regain that that all-star form. It's, you know, guys like Garrett Richards, maybe they can continue to pitch well out of the bullpen. You know, he seems to be pitching pretty well out of there, you know, a lot better than he was as a starter. So, you know, I think it really kind of comes down to that for the Red Sox as it comes down to their bullpen. And, you know, it's nice that you've had Sale back. It's nice that you have an offense that seems to be back on track, but you're not going anywhere if that bullpen can't hold leads, you know, and that goes for the wild card game. That goes for the division series. That goes for you know, the the ALCS, the World Series, however far you get that, you're only going to go as far as your bullpen takes you. And I think that that's the case with this Red Sox team. But I also think that, you know, thinking back to the expectations of this team, you know, if this team can get to the division series and give Tampa Bay, you know, a good series, honestly, I think that that's good enough for me not to say that, okay, I'm okay with them losing in the playoffs, you know. But I think, like, you have to understand this team was not expected to compete whatsoever. You know, I think that this team, most people are going to be like, okay, they'll be lucky to win 80-plus games, and they're approaching 90 wins. They could get to 90 wins this weekend uh, by taking two or three from the Yankees. So it's kind of hard to believe that we're at this point, and I know that it's not been pretty, especially the second half of the season. Um, The Red Sox have definitely come back down to earth, but... They seem to be getting it together, you know, and whether it's these jerseys or whether it's just they recognize the urgency, you know, of these games that I think, sure, you're having games against teams that maybe aren't very good, but I think that you still want to have that same type of urgency, you know, does it matter who they're playing? No, you still want to come out and play and play good baseball, play, you know, good situational baseball and the Red Sox have done that. You know, three straight wins against the Orioles, a couple wins against the Mets. You know, they did have a couple of good road wins against Seattle, too. You know, don't discount those games. You know, Seattle's a team that are trying very, very hard to get into the playoffs. I think they're only two games out of the wild card. So um, hopefully the good times will continue for the Red Sox this weekend against the Yankees. They are currently uh, two games ahead of the Yankees in the wild card standings. Um, and then Toronto is a game behind the Yankees, but we'll take a look at the standings in a little bit. Um, but it's mostly just an ex- it's an exciting time to be a Red Sox fan. I think that they're you know playing well and peaking at the right time. So uh, <laughs> seems like they'll be wearing the the yellow jerseys until they lose. So um, they'll look yeah look for them to be wearing them tonight. Hopefully they can get the game in. Uh, the weather is not looking great, so. I guess I wouldn't be surprised if the game gets postponed possibly and then played as a, a doubleheader tomorrow or Sunday. So 
I think that it should be a pretty exciting series, a series that is, uh, you know, I think both teams are going to need to be playing with a sense of urgency because, you know, the Red Sox, sure, they're up in the standings, but I think they really want to, you know, end the season on a high note at Fenway Park and, you know, go into that final road trip of the season not feeling like they have to win every single game, you know, and hopefully clinching a playoff spot at some point. Um, but for the Yankees, you know, I think they need this series more than the Red Sox do, but I think the Red Sox also need it just to kind of stay in the position that they're in because they're in a very good position at the moment. Um, so Red Sox, three games against the Yankees this weekend, um, and then they will travel to Baltimore and D.C. Uh, to close out the season. So obviously we'll be talking to you folks next week as the Red Sox, you know, hopefully at that point we'll have wrapped up a playoff spot. So 7 o'clock tonight, 4 o'clock tomorrow, and then 7 o'clock on Sunday. And then the Red Sox will have an off day to travel to Baltimore. And then they'll play Baltimore Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then play Washington next weekend. Chris Sale is scheduled to pitch two more times this season on the 28th against Baltimore and then October 2nd against Washington. Maybe there's a possibility he doesn't pitch in that October 2nd game if the Red Sox have clinched a playoff spot because undoubtedly they will want to pitch him or Evaldi in the wild card game, you know, which I think would happen two days after the regular season. So, you know, if you're going by what the rotation or what, or if you're going by the turns in the rotation, Sale is scheduled to pitch um, next Saturday against Washington, then Evaldi on Sunday, but probably that's going to end up being changed um, if the Red Sox are able to clinch a playoff spot before then. So I think as we've looked at the Red Sox schedule, take a look at the standings. Um, But there are some news and notes from around baseball that I think makes sense for us to... Uh, talk about the standings first. So I don't think it makes sense for us to talk about the uh, division standings as the Red Sox are are six games out of first place. But it is also interesting that, you know, if they're not that far back, you know, six games is not crazy. Not saying that, oh, okay, they're going to make up the six games. Uh, But it is interesting that they've been, that they're as close as they are. Um, Tampa Bay in the driver's seat for that number one spot in the division so it looks like they will win the division um, they have clinched a playoff spot they're the uh, one of two teams in the American League to clinch a playoff spot at the moment and then the Yankees are in third in the division and then Toronto fourth um, in the central you have the White Sox who have clinched a playoff, playoff berth in the division they clinched the division the other day um, so they will be in the playoffs in the west you have Houston that is seven games up on Seattle and then nine games up on Oakland. So uh, Houston looks like they are very close to clinching their division. As we look at the wild card, uh, the Red Sox do have a good, healthy advantage on the Yankees. They are in that first wild card spot, so that means that they, uh, in theory, would be able to host a wild card game if the game. They would be able to host a wild card game if the season ended today. The Red Sox are two games up on the Yankees. Um, and then Toronto is just a game back of the second-place Yankees, and then Seattle is two games back, and then Oakland is four games back at the moment. In the National League, we'll take a look at the division standings first before we go to the wild card. 
Um, Atlanta still has an advantage over the Phillies, a two-game lead. The Phillies have won three in a row, so they're making it a little interesting. Um, but Atlanta still in first place in the, in the NL East. The Brewers have clinched a playoff berth. They have not clinched the division yet, but it looks like it probably will happen soon. They have lost five straight, but they're still seven and a half ahead of the St. Louis Cardinals, who have won 12 straight games and have put themselves firmly in the driver's seat for a playoff spot. And then in the National League West, you have the Giants and the Dodgers who have clinched playoff spots. The Dod- or the Giants are a game ahead of the Dodgers for uh, first place in, in, the American League, in the National League West. So I think there's a distinct possibility that that could come down to um, a final weekend as to which team finishes in first or second. But at the moment, it seems like the playoff teams are pretty close to being decided in the National League. You know, there's really only one wild card spot that's up for grabs in the National League of the Do- as the Dodgers um, have already clinched the playoffs um, and are like locked in as that first wild card team, whether it's them or the Giants. Um, and then the Cardinals, thanks to their 12-game winning streak, are four and a half ahead of Philadelphia, who is pretty far back in the wild card standings, although they're making it interesting on Atlanta in the division. So I think some other notes from around baseball. Obviously, the White Sox winning the American League Central with the win last night. Um, Cardinals with their 12th straight win. As I mentioned, that is their longest winning streak since 1982. Um, It seemed like Major League Baseball, I think it was testing a pitch clock in double A, and it seemed to be going pretty well. I mean, I think that's definitely an advancement that I would like to see, I think, in Major League games. Um, There was... um, Blue Jays and Toronto uh, kind of scuffle, if you will, the other day. Ryan Barocchi was suspended three games by Major League Baseball um, after hitting Kevin Kiermeyer. Uh, it appeared to be intentional um, in that game, so he gets tossed. Um, obviously, there was an incident prior, or I think the game before, where um, a Blue Jays catcher had like a, da- a data card um, in his pocket that slipped out while he was running the bases. Kevin Kiermeyer picked it up. Toronto, you know, obviously taking exception to that and, you know, hitting him. So, you know, kind of a interesting situation there. It got pretty heated uh, between, I think, some Blue Jays coaches and uh, Joe West. So, you know, kind of a interesting little situation there. Um, obviously, I think in these parts, we don't want them to be playing a while uh, a division series because that means that Toronto may would have beaten the Red Sox, but I got to tell you, if that does happen, that'll be very interesting. Um, but the Red Sox, you know, appear to be in really good position, you know, two games up on the Yankees at the moment, but I think you really can't afford to lose steam at the moment. I think the Red Sox are, are very close to the playoffs and I think don't want to let their foot off the gas, but you know, seven straight wins, the way that they're playing is, is helping, but it's going to be a massive series this weekend against the Yankees. Red Sox could have the possibility to 
you know, really take a stranglehold of the American League wildcard if they can win uh, two or three games this weekend. So that probably does it for baseball. We'll jump to the NHL and talk a little bit about the Bruins as training camp has opened. Uh, the other day, there was off-ice testing on Wednesday, and then the team hit the ice yesterday. Um, and then also having a session today. Uh, just some notes from training camp. Uh, Charlie Coyle is still recovering from uh, knee surgery in the offseason, so he is wearing a non-contact jersey. Um so it seems like he's still recovering. Sounds like he won't be, you know, fully ready for contact until next week. So Jack Stadnika is taking some shift, taking some shifts at uh, the second line center. Uh, Taylor Hall, Craig Smith on his wings. Uh, Bruins have also been working with a third line of Jake DeBrusque, um, Nick Foligno, and Eric Halla. Um, imagining that that probably is going to be what your third line looks like this season. Um, I think the fourth line is a little bit more in flux with guys like Curtis Lazar, um, Trent Frederick, Thomas Nosek. Uh, you probably got a couple of young guys that might challenge for a spot on that fourth line. But I think that one of the themes that I think I've been noticing is I think that there's not a lot of roster spots for younger players that – you know, the Bruins have a pretty deep NHL caliber roster that I think doesn't allow for a player like Jack Stanika or, you know, some of their young forwards to really kind of see some ice time, which I think is a, is a decision that was made in the offseason, you know, clearly by a couple of players like Halla and Felino, who are kind of older veteran players that I think are going to be expected to you know, be a part of a team that's going to try to go deep in the playoffs. And so I think the drawback of that is you're not allowing some of your younger players to get the ice time that they necessarily need. But I think that it's 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 a risk that you have to take, I think, recognizing the core of this team, that there are guys that have left, there are guys that are older, and guys that probably don't have too many more elite years left in the tank. And so I think the Bruins are trying to take advantage of that and... You know, whether that's the right decision, I think, is kind of up for up for debate, uh, to be perfectly honest. Um, so I think it's a little too bad, but I also think, you know, a player like Jack Stadnika, he can really impress the Bruins with, you know, taking some shifts at the second-line center spot, you know, probably seeing, some, seeing a good amount of playing time in the preseason, um, because I think the preseason is really kind of more for those younger players that are trying to make an impact at the professional level, whether that's in Boston or in Providence. Um, and I think it's a big, it's, it's important for the Bruins coaching staff, I think at Providence and in Boston, because you have a couple of new faces in different positions. So I think that it could, you know, be very beneficial for some of the young players to do well in training camp and in the preseason. Um, but I think that it's, fairly obvious that there are really not a lot of spots that are, you know, really open for younger players to take. You know, I think that Charlie Coyle was, will certainly get the first crack at, you know, trying to be put in the same spot that David Krejci was on the second line center. Um, and I think 
you know, depending on how Studnika does, you know, I think you could see him taking some shifts there at some point this season. You know, I think that it's really kind of up to those two guys as to how far the Bruins go this season, because I think that it's, it's hard to set expectations on this team to go far in the playoffs when you don't have someone like David Krejci, who is, you know, just been a staple on this Bruins team for so long and ups his play in the playoffs. And I'll be honest, like that's one of the things that concerns me about this year's team is sure. I think that you can get through a regular season without David Krejci, that you can have different guys kind of replacing that production and, you know, being just as good, not saying that they'd be just as good as David Krejci as a player, but if you look at what David was able to do, putting up 50 points last season, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect that the Bruins could get that amount of production out of that position, whether that's Coyle, whether that's the Nika, whether that's Halla, whether that's, you know, whoever it is. Um, I think the Bruins can get that similar level of production. Does it come from one player? Maybe not. But I think that that's something that you can do. But I think going into the playoffs, when you have someone like David Krejci who ups his game in the playoffs every single year, it's going to be hard to replicate that. And I think that, you know, the Bruins are going to be forced to maybe not play a different way, but, you know, when you don't have someone like that and you don't have someone that you can definitely rely on, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be challenging. Um, but I think that it's... A good opportunity for Jack Stanika to get some shifts. You know, it seems like he's bulked up this offseason, which is great to see. Um, another player that I think I'm very curious to see is Jake DeBrusque. And um, I'll be honest, it was it was nice to see that, you know, Bruce Cassidy was pretty open and forthcoming about some of the conversations that he and Jake had had at the end of the season and um, kind of realizing how tough it was for for Jake to be to go through you know the COVID situation and you know being isolated and I think it was really really important to see that Bruce Cassidy you know really kind of cares about his players and you know wanted to reach out and kind of see if they can you know work some things out I think that that is something that I've really appreciated from Cassidy really from day one that I think he's taken an approach with some of these young guys that has worked, you know, and is it perfect? No, I don't think so. You know, has every single young player worked out? No, is Jake DeBrusque played perfectly this, you know, whole time that Cassidy's been here? No, but I think, you know, when you consider who the last coach was and some of his track record with some of the young players, I think that it's fairly obvious that, you know, Cassidy's done a lot better with these young guys and recognizes that, okay, you have a young guy who got who has gone through a really tough, tough season, tough season plus, um, but that they're trying to work with him and want still want him to be a productive player on this team. So I'm very curious to see how Jake looks at the beginning of the season, you know, and I think that if you're pairing him with Felino and Hall, I think that it's a good idea for a player like him to play with two seasoned veterans, two guys that have been around the NHL know what it takes to get it done and are going to be two guys that I think can really help his development um, and help him kind of be an NHL player that brings it every single night and knows what's expected uh, to, to play for the Bruins. So I think that that's something to, to keep your eye on. I think 
Linus Olmark will definitely be another player that a lot of people will be keeping their eyes on. He'll probably be the starter for the majority of the season in Boston. Um, it is good to see that Tuka Rask does still want to return and has made that you know, pretty clear. But I think Olmark is going to be the guy that's going to be getting the majority of the starts uh, for the first half of the season. You know, Swayman will be in there a couple times too. Um, but I think that there are some, I think there may be definitely some concerns, you know, because Olmark's not a guy that I think historically has been able to hold up for, you know, 55, 60 games that it's going to be a lot to ask. But I think just with the way the Bruins play off defensively and looking at some of the guys that they, you know, have on this team in terms of, you know, how they are defensively, I don't think it's going to be a huge problem that you're bringing in a new goalie. Um, like Olmark, but I think Olmark is a guy who played well in Buffalo last season for one of the worst teams in NHL history um, and actually didn't end up having a poor season. So I think it'll be interesting to see how he does. Um, and I think, you know, just keeping an eye on, you know, how, how he performs. But I don't know. I'm uh, kind of very curious to see what the... Uh, what the certain fan reactions are going to be when he plays poorly. I'm kind of fascinated to see what that's going to be like, because we all know some Bruins fans, you know, think everything's Tuka Rask's fault. So very curious if people keep that same energy with Olmark. You know, they probably won't just because it doesn't work that way, but <laughs> whatever. Um, the Bruins will start their preseason slate on Sunday with a game in In D.C., Bruins will play the Capitals at 5 o'clock on Sunday. So if you're done watching the Patriots game, uh, you can tune over to NHL Network where the Bruins will be playing. Well, now as I'm saying that out loud, I'm realizing that the Buccaneers are playing at 425. So, you know, hey, if uh, there are timeouts, you can click over to the game. So Bruins will open their preseason um, against the Capitals. They will also have two games next week. They will have um, a Tuesday game in New York at Madison Square Garden against the Rangers at 7 o'clock. That game is also on NHL Network. Um, I believe that all the Bruins preseason games are being televised, so you can watch the first two, Sunday and Tuesday, on NHL Network. And then the Bruins will have their preseason home opener um, next Thursday against the Flyers at 7.30. That game is on TNT. Yes, it's on TNT, the NHL uh, has made the switch to TNT and ESPN, uh, which is very exciting. You know, I've said this multiple times. I think it's great for the growth of, of the NHL, so I'm really looking forward to seeing you know, how that works out for the league. So, uh, yeah, all the Bruins games will be available to watch. Um, so really looking forward to seeing what some of the young players can do. Um, I wouldn't expect that you're seeing a lot of the veteran guys play in many of these games. I think that there's six of them. I really wouldn't be surprised if you see guys like Bergeron, Marchand, you know, the big guys. I wouldn't expect that they're playing more than maybe two games, maybe three games, um, because I think really it's more about some of the young guys getting an experience playing in the NHL at the NHL level. Um, I also thought that the rookie challenge was really important, or the prospect challenge, excuse me, was really important for some of the young guys um, to get some ice time and play against maybe not full-time NHL players, but I think really getting an opportunity 
to kind of put on that Bruin sweater and play. You know, I thought uh, Jesper Frodan was very good, had a couple goals um, in the challenge. So that was good to see him play well. I think he's a guy that's kind of a wild card that um, he could have a good camp and possibly challenge for a fourth line spot. Um, But I think if that doesn't happen, he's also a guy that probably will get up and play if the Bruins run into some injuries. Um, I would expect that Chris Wagner probably is going to be one of the extra forwards. Um, It's probably not going to be super exciting to some people, but I think that, you know, as I said, the Bruins have a roster of a lot of kind of veteran guys, and so I think it's going to be challenging for some of the young players to get, you know, roster spots. But, hey, if they play well enough, they might be able to steal one. So very curious to see you know, how that goes in the next few days and then in the preseason. So just some notes from around the NHL. Uh, Jack Eichel was stripped of his captaincy by the Sabres, but, you know, that's really just a messy situation that I think Buffalo has completely bungled, and it's just gotten out of control, and I think that it's uh, just unfortunate, and I think it's... uh, It's, it's just unfortunate that it's spiraled all out of control and it's making the Buffalo Sabres look absolutely horrible. And I'll just be honest, I don't know how a player looks at this situation and says that they want to go play there. So um, I just hope things work out for the best for Jack, you know, that he can get out of there and be able to play. You know, he's, you know, trying to get that neck surgery and, you know, Buffalo doesn't seem super psyched to let him get that. So I don't really know what the full story is. You know, you can read a full story about it probably on NHL.com or on Twitter if you can find, you know, a, a reputable source. Um, but it's just unfortunate that, that we're seeing this 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 go on. Um, Vladimir Tarasenko is back with the Blues after a trade requ- request this summer. Um, so he is reporting to training camp. He is back. So, um that's at least good news for St. Louis. I'd be curious to see if he gets dealt at some point this season. Uh, the Penguins announcing that Evgeny Malkin will be out for at least the first two months of the season as he rehabs a hip injury, I believe. So Pittsburgh will be without Crosby and Malkin for the first couple weeks of the season. So very curious to see what kind of start they get off to. Uh, Nicholas Backstrom is going to be week to week, week to week for the Capitals. Um, and so may not see him at training camp for the Capitals for a little bit. Jonathan Taves is hoping to play for the Blackhawks opener, um, returning to training camp after uh, not playing last season. Um, the Olympic schedule, or the Olympic hockey schedule, uh, was announced the other day for the 2022 games in Beijing. Uh, Team USA will open their uh, Olympic account their Olympic run with a preliminary game against China on February 10th and then they will play Canada on February 11th and then the their final uh, like preliminary game will be against Germany on February 13th um, and then the knockout games start February 14th and then the gold medal game is February 19th so obviously exciting that the NHL will be back in the Olympics so you have something to look forward to in in February, other than the uh, other than the Super Bowl, because yes, the Super Bowl is a week later this season, so I think it will be on the thirteenth. So 
uh, may may interfere with some Olympic hockey, which will be kind of interesting. Um, so I think that that probably does it for the NHL. Move on to the NBA. The Celtics, um, I think, have finalized their training camp roster. Um, at the moment, they've brought in a couple of they brought in a couple of players that will be on the training camp roster. May not necessarily make the team, but they will be there for training camp. I think that there are twenty players that the Celtics have, um, you know, have invited, so to speak. Uh, Ryan R.G. Diacono. Obviously, you might remember him as he played for. Uh, Villanova a couple of years ago. He's been in the NBA the last couple of years. Um, he will join the Celtics for training camp. So remains it really kind of remains to be seen whether any of these guys that I that I'll mention right now are going to make the team. But they will be there for for training camp. Theo Pinson also is going to be there. He has uh, played for the Nets and the Knicks the last couple of years. He played um, collegiately at North Carolina. Is a good energy guy. Always was a good energy guy. Um, at UNC, if you if you remember him, so um, he'll be a good kind of energy guy to have around. Curious to see if he makes the roster. Uh, the Celtics also signing Garrison Matthews to a non guaranteed contract, so it kind of seems like it's a similar situation to a Jabari Parker. Uh, Matthews played last season in Washington, so he'll be at training camp. Celtics may add him to the active roster. It'll be interesting to see. So the Celtics or the NBA teams have a 15-person roster and then are allowed to have two uh, two-way players. So the Celtics essentially will be trying out 20 or 21 players uh, for 17 or 15 roster spots and then two two-way contracts um, if they feel the need to. I don't think you have to necessarily have two two-way contracts, but you are allowed them. So the Celtics obviously had uh, Taco Fall and Tremont Waters on those deals last year so possibility the Celtics could have two extra guys but um, I really kind of like the roster the Celtics are putting together I think that it's a a roster that's going to compete every night and play hard and play good defense and so I think you really want to see that type of energy at training camp I think next week when the Celtics open up that you just want to see guys competing and I think that um, unfortunately you didn't see a whole lot of that last season um, especially on the defensive end but I think you look at some of the guys that they've brought on brought onto this team. They're going to be guys that are going to work hard and they're going to work hard defensively, and I think are going to set a culture, you know, that I think is going to be brought on by Coach Udoka, who is a defensive coach that's going to want guys to compete and want guys to be quote unquote dogs and really be a team that's going to be tough to play against defensively. So I'm very looking forward to that. Um, so. I think just thinking about the Celtics and their, you know, roster and what their lineup might look like, um, I think that it's fairly obvious to expect that uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown will, will start. Um, but I think that they're be, begun began be, there are I think some interesting ways that they could go, you know, from there. That you know, do you put Dennis Schroeder? and Marcus Smart in the starting lineup. Do you start a guy like Josh Richardson? Um, I think that there are a lot of different options the Celtics can go with. Rob Williams, possibly. Do they start Rob Williams and Al Horford? You know, do they bring Horford off the bench? What do they do? You know, I think that it's a lot of options that that Brad Stevens can, or excuse me, Ime Udoka can put together. Um, 
But I think that you have Brad Stevens at the basketball ops level that I think is putting together a good group of players that I think Coach Udoka is going to have. It's going to be a good problem to have with all these guys that you think about, you know, having on the roster or putting into the two-way spots that I think you're going to have guys that are going to be good players that can compete. I think Sam Hauser has already been signed to a two-way contract, so I think he at least will be on one of those two-way contracts. He played collegiately at Marquette and then Virginia last season. Um, He played very well in Summer League. You know, as a guy who's a knockdown shooter and, you know, could give you a little bit of offense if you needed it. So very. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do for the Celtics. Um, But I think going back to kind of the starters, I think that most likely you're going to see Schroeder start, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and then it can kind of go from there. The Celtics decide to start Marcus Smart with Schroeder. Do they decide to start Josh Richardson? Um, And then what do they decide to do with the bigs? I think most likely what you what you should see, at least in my opinion, is Schroeder at point guard. Um, I think that there are there are pros and cons to having Marcus Smart in the starting lineup, but I think it makes more sense for him to come off the bench. So I think personally, I would prefer to see a lineup of Schroeder, Richardson, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Robert Williams. Um, and then depending on matchups, you could slide Marcus Smart in there. Uh, you could slide Al Horford in there, but I think that what's going to be a most effective starting lineup is going to be the five that I just mentioned, Schroeder, Richardson, Brown, Tatum, and Robert Williams. And then you can bring Smart and Horford off the bench with Pritchard, with Neesmith, you know, with Cantor, with Romeo Lankford. You have a pretty solid bench right there um, and a pretty solid team. Now, it's not going to be a team that's going to blow anyone away. It's not going to be a team that's going to win 60 games. But I think that this is a group that could win 45-plus games and, you know, make a really tough out for a team in the playoffs. And I think the Celtics want to build a culture of strong defensive play and just competitiveness. And I think that the scoring will take care of itself. I know that that's a little bit of a concern, but I think that if you build a culture of defense and competitiveness, that everything else will take care of itself. Um, So very curious to see what that looks like, what training camp looks like for the Celtics, what the preseason looks like. That will give you an opportunity to see what kind of lineups um, the Celtics are going to try to roll out. So very looking forward to the start of training camp. So the rest of the NBA, most of the stories have been on uh, Ben Simmons, who is, um, as he says, he's done with the Sixers, will not play again for the franchise. Um, And, you know, Kind of digging himself a hole, I'll be honest. Um, I don't think he's really doing himself any favors with this, and I think that, you know, the Sixers have pretty much tried whatever they can, but I think that they may be forced to trade him for a package that is not going to be the best value for him. And I have to, and you have to understand, though, that the Sixers, I think, were being unreasonable when they were, you know, potentially trying to move him, that they were trying to get really crazy packages from a team like Portland or from a team like Golden State, you know. And I think that, unfortunately, they and Ben Simmons have put themselves in a hole that, you know, Ben Simmons may not go a place that he wants to go or feel like he fits in, and the Sixers may not get a package that's going to be, you know, the best package for a player like him. So um, I think Minnesota is the team that I've heard 
could most likely land him. But I think that, again, I don't think that the Sixers are going to get the best value for him because I think he's just disgruntled. And it's to the point that they may end up, you know, shooting themselves in the foot, you know, kind of, in my opinion, kind of like how the Nets did with James Harden that, or, well, no, it's kind of the, it was kind of the opposite of that. I think the Rockets, you know, got a pretty good package that they almost got or the Nets almost gave up too much for him. Um, but I think either way, it's going to end up with a trade package that's going to be lopsided that, you know, the Sixers are not going to get a good enough trade package that they could have gotten, you know, had they handled this perfectly. Um, you know, Towns is not going to be traded to the Sixers. I don't believe that uh, Anthony Edwards will get traded to the Sixers, so it would be very interesting to see, you know, what the what the resolution is on that on that potential trade. Uh, just some notes from around the NBA. It sounds like about 90 to 95% um, of the players in the league are going to be fully vaccinated, which I think is outstanding. I'm hoping that, you know, both the NBA and the NHL can get to a point where games do not need to be, you know, postponed, that you can play these games, that you, you know, will be able to be safe enough that, you can play games with fans in the stands and not have to miss games. So um, I think that that is just a good sign. Um, It seems like the NBA is cutting down on quote-unquote manipulated fouls, you know, which essentially I think means like, you know, jumping into the defender and things like that and trying to draw contact that the uh, NBA is going to make this a point of emphasis this season, which I think is about... It's about freaking time that they, you know, that they make a change because it just got out of hand um, at, at points this season, you know. And I think it's certain players do manipulate more than other players, um, but I think it's just like about time that they figure things out that, okay, the game is becoming, you know, less about basketball and more about, oh, can you draw contact? You know, and I understand that. you know, drawing contact is part of the game. And it absolutely is. But I think that it's pretty obvious when you see players that are, you know, going out of their way to, or going going out of their way or look unnatural when they're trying to draw contact. So I think it's good that the NBA is uh, cracking down on that. So I think we'll keep you updated, get you updated on a couple of other things. The WNBA playoffs got underway last night. So they do something interesting with the playoffs. Uh, it was interesting. So the first, so the top two teams get a bye. Um, Connecticut finished top of the standings at 26 and 6. Las Vegas was 24 and 8. So both of those teams get buys all the way to the semifinals. So uh, it does not work like the NBA, like one versus eight, two versus seven, that sort of thing. So uh, Connecticut and Vegas, the top two seeds, got buys. So they will automatically play in the semifinals. Um, and then you had, so you had two games last night. You had the fifth-seeded Mercury against the eighth-seeded Liberty. Uh, the Mercury got it done with a win last night, 83-82, to 82, uh, Phoenix beating New York. And then you had Chicago beating Dallas last night, 81-64. to 64. Um, and so both of those winning teams will advance to play uh, the third-seeded Minnesota Lynx and the fourth-seeded Seattle Storm. 
Uh, so Phoenix will play Seattle at 3 o'clock on Sunday, and then Chicago will play Minnesota at 5 o'clock. So a pretty interesting game as you have Diana Taurasi possibly returning um, against Subert in the Seattle Storm. Diana was not able to play last night because of an ankle injury, but hopefully she can go on Sunday because this will be a very interesting game. So that will be the second round. And then the winners of those two games will then play in the semifinals that start on Tuesday, and that is a three-game series. Connecticut and Vegas will be hosting, or they will be hosting because they'll be the higher seeds, and so they'll have the two home games to start the semifinals. So uh, both of the games on Sunday are on TV. ABC has the Phoenix-Seattle game, and then ESPN2 has the Chicago and Minnesota game. So looking forward to both of these matchups. If you have a chance to catch some of these during uh, commercial breaks of football, uh, yeah, there's going to be a lot on TV this weekend. So uh, second round of the WNBA playoffs gets underway Sunday at 3. And there's also more sports this weekend, if you can believe it. <laughs> um, so we'll keep you guys, get you guys updated on college football uh, week four will get underway. I think there might be some games tonight, but we'll have kind of the big games on Saturday. So we'll take a look at the rankings. Um, not a whole lot has changed. Um, there were some teams that, that shot down uh, because their uh, wins were not very convincing. Uh, Clemson was one of those teams. They had a very poor performance against Georgia, State, uh, Georgia Tech. Um, so they have dropped down to nine. They were previously sixth. Uh, Penn State beating Auburn at home, so they jumped up to four spot, or they jumped up four spots to number six. Uh, the top four still remains the same, um, although Oklahoma fell to four, Oregon up to three. So the top four is Alabama, Georgia, Oregon, and Oklahoma, and then Iowa, Penn State, Texas A&M, five, six, and seven, and then Cincinnati, Clemson, and Ohio State, rounding out the top ten. Michigan State and Michigan State, Fresno State, and Kansas State um, all jumped into the top 25 this week. Michigan State with a win at Miami. So Michigan State's been playing very well recently. They've opened the season with three straight wins. So we'll take a look at some of the games on Saturday. Notre Dame and Wisconsin will play um, in Madison. Notre Dame is the 12th ranked team in the country. Wisconsin is 18th. So a big opportunity uh, for Wisconsin, I think, to answer after their loss to Penn State in their first week. So, uh, you know, Notre Dame's 3-0, but they've certainly not looked um, as invincible as you might think. You know, I think they really struggled in their first two games, had a win against Purdue last weekend, but have really not looked great in any of those games. Um, Texas A&M and Arkansas will, will battle uh, both teams 3-0 in the SEC. That game is at 3.30 on CBS. Notre Dame and Wisconsin is at noon on Fox. And then no other games no other games between ranked opponents. Um, but it is worth noting that West Virginia and Oklahoma will play Saturday night. And I think that this could be an interesting game because Oklahoma, like Notre Dame, has really not looked not looked good in any of their games. Or shouldn't say it like that, but they've not looked as dominant as they typically as they typically do. So I think that this could be a potential trap game for Oklahoma against West Virginia, who's a team that can score a lot of points. So very curious to see how uh, Oklahoma responds in this game. 
Uh, before we go, talk a little bit about the Revolution. Got a big win against the Chicago Fire on Wednesday night. Revolution clinching a playoff spot, and you know their their facelift is uh, is complete. The Revolution really not in a good spot two years ago. You know before Bruce Arena comes in, but he's come in and has you know turned this team into a powerhouse. You know unlike anything we've ever seen with this particular organization in about 15 years. You know, we've not seen this team playing at such a high clip in a very long time. You know, you had a team that, you know, made the MLS Cup final in 2014, but it was kind of just a one-off. But, you know, they're playing at such an unbelievable clip. They're really a must-watch every time they're on. Um, Carlos Hill scoring the game-winning goal late in the game on Wednesday night. It was past the past the 90th minute and you know they just they're just having fun playing and that's really the the best thing to see um but they're just playing at such a such a great high clip and it's you know really should should excite you you know if you're not a big soccer fan you should jump on the bandwagon because this team is going to be going places Uh, the revolution with 59 points they're currently on pace to break the mls record for most points in a season um, and possibly most wins in a season revolution sit at 18, 4, and 5, 18 wins, 4 losses, 5 draws. So points in 27 of 23 games. So um, it's been a tremendous season for the revolution. 15 points clear of Nashville for second place, or Nashville is second place. Revolution at first in the East, and they're up a pretty considerable margin in the Supporter Shield standings as well. Um, but it just continues to get even better. But you know, the, the great thing about this Revolution team is the fact that they're not satisfied. The fact that, you know, you have a team that is still hungry, a coach that I think is still, you know, hungry for this group that, yeah, we've made the playoffs, but we're not done yet. You know, that's not our goal. Our goal is to be, you know, in the playoffs, number one seed, home field advantage, and win that MLS Cup. You know, I think that it's really kind of one of the things that I've noticed about this team that, yes, they're playing at an extremely high clip, but I think still trying to be motivated and still trying to play with, you know, a sense of urgency that they would be playing with, you know, if they were, you know, struggling to make the playoffs that you still, you know, want to be bringing your best every single game. The only area of concern I have for this team is that they've just won so much and they don't have experience with losing many games they've only lost four games this season you know and I think sometimes you want to experience some losses because if you don't you know it puts a lot of pressure on you going into the playoffs so I think that you know you don't want to see this team crumble under pressure but I think the returns have all been good you know when the revolution need big plays late in games they get them but obviously the playoffs are a much different animal but it's just good to see that they're playing at such a high level, you know, and I think that it's just exciting to see a team that really was going nowhere two years ago. You know, you had uh, Brad Friedel getting fired. Michael Apper comes in this team's last place in the Eastern Conference and, you know, really just seemed like they were not going anywhere as a franchise. And now Bruce Arena comes in. You've brought in some unbelievable, you know, talented players that are doing amazing things on on world stages you know when you think about adam buxa who's been playing great for for poland tejan buchanan playing so well for canada that he's 
going to be playing professionally in Belgium next year, you know, that you are putting your players on, on a world stage and they're performing, not even to mention a guy like Matt Turner, who has been unbelievable for, for Team USA in some of the, the qualifying matches. So um, everything seems to be coming up revolution um, in the last few weeks. So good for them. Revolution will host um, Orlando on Saturday night at 7 o'clock. And the Revolution have uh, just seven games left in the regular season to this to this month. Um, Orlando, they will host on Saturday, and then they will travel to Montreal on Wednesday. So the Revolution season ends November 7th, and Revolution in the playoffs. Um, and a team that really are not showing any signs of slowing down at the moment. Um, Revolution in the Supporter Shield standings are uh, 13 points up on Sporting KC. So Revolution are pretty close to clinching that number one seed uh, throughout the playoffs, which would potentially get them a home game in the MLS Cup if they were able to you know, get all the way there. So good stuff for the Revolution. Good stuff for the Red Sox. It's, uh, it's a good time to be a Boston sports fan. Um, so hopefully you guys enjoyed the podcast this week. You can uh, like and subscribe on, uh, now I think on Spotify you can only subscribe, but yes, follow, subscribe, do whatever you need to do. You can drop me a rating or a uh, review on Apple Podcasts. That would be gratefully appreciated. If you haven't already, go follow the uh, Facebook page or like the Facebook page, follow the Twitter page. Um, And yeah, everyone have a good weekend. Enjoy Enjoy the football. Uh, Hopefully the Red Sox can get a game in tonight, and hopefully they have a good series this weekend against the Yankees. All right, so we'll, we'll talk to you next time, everyone.